The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Frank Holland, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show is live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your 5 to 5. We begin with stocks kicking off the last week of August, trading in the green after their best day in three weeks. Futures right now, they are higher. Investors also appearing just to kind of look past Jay Powell's promise to keep rates higher for longer. Powell maintaining that commitment in Jackson Hole on Friday. Former Federal Reserve Vice Chair Roger Ferguson, he weighs in this hour. And in China, a high-stakes meeting for U.S. Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo as Beijing does its best to keep a floor under its sagging recovery. Plus, U.S. regulators appearing to backtrack on a major antitrust lawsuit. And then later in the show, what retail traders are doing in the face of what's been one of the worst months for stocks this year. It is Monday, August the 28th, 2023, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. Welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Let's get you ready to start this day. As always, we kick off the hour with a check on U.S. stock futures after the Dow's best day since August the 7th and the S&P and Nasdaq's first positive week in the last four. Taking a look at futures right now, you can see in the green across the board. Right now, it looks like the Dow would open up about 65 points higher. Again, as we always say, it is early. Among the biggest gainers in the NASDAQ 100 last week, we're talking Tesla, Moderna, and Palo Alto Networks, all of them up more than 10% on the week. We're also checking the bond market right now. As always, we begin with the benchmark 10-year, right now trading at just about its highest level since 2007 at 4.22. Important to note, the two-year yield back above 5%, strongly back above 5% at 5.07%, something we continue to watch. We're also looking at the energy sector right now. Oil, of course, oil coming off its second straight weekly loss. WTI, the U.S. benchmark, back above 80 bucks a barrel, up almost a half a percent this morning. Brent crude at 84.72, up just over a quarter. The big move right now, natural gas, up more or up almost 3 percent. All right, time now for a check on this morning's top corporate stories. Our Savannah Hanau is here with those. Savannah, happy Monday morning. Hey, Frank. Happy Monday morning to you. All right. Well, U.S. regulators are suspending their challenge of Amgen's near $30 billion deal for Horizon Therapeutics until at least September 18th. The pause will allow the FTC to consider whether it should continue its effort to block the merger or settle the case. Amgen says there is no legal reason to prohibit the acquisition. Shares of Horizon up about 5 percent in the pre-market. Shares of Chinese EV maker Xpeng surging in Asia and here at home. The company says it is buying Didi's smart EV development business for around $744 million. As part of the deal, the Asian ride-hailing giant will become a strategic shareholder in Xpeng. And 3M is reportedly agreeing to pay more than $5.5 billion to settle the more than 300,000 lawsuits claiming it sold the U.S. military defective earplugs. According to multiple reports, the resolution would allow 3M to avoid a potentially much larger liability, one 3M hoped to soften through a failed and controversial bankruptcy case. Analysts had estimated its case could have cost the company roughly $10 billion, Frank. 
All right, Silvana, thank you very much. We will see you later on the show. All right, turning back to the markets, Fed Chair Jay Powell, he has spoken, and the earnings season is nearly over, but the markets, they still face a crucial test in the days ahead. Tomorrow we get data on job openings and consumer confidence. Wednesday, it's ADP, tracking hiring in the private sector. Thursday brings jobless claims and core PCE. That is the Fed's favorite gauge of inflation. And then it all wraps up on Friday with the August jobs report. Let's bring in Dan Baru, co-chairman and CIO at Palisade Capital Management. Dan, good morning. Thank you for being here. Good morning, Frank. All right, I want to go back to, to Jay Powell just for a minute. One quote a lot of people are keying in on. He says, we're navigating by the stars under cloudy skies. Today, looking at the CME FedWatch tool, 80% chance of a pause. How did you interpret what he said? And, and what do you think about not only the next meeting coming up in a few weeks, but the last three meetings in total? What are you expecting? I think he's going to stay higher for longer. Uh, at, but the environment's very murky. You've got decelerating growth in China. That's going to be a big a big issue going forward that could affect our our uh, our economy and uh i think he's basically you know citing that uh it, it, it's it's cloudy and the clouds are perhaps getting a little thicker but we're still uh on a course to, we're still going to stay the course because i really do believe that uh getting inflation down in particular the stickier components of infl- inflation is the number one goal of the Fed. And I don't think they're going to stop until they feel comfortable that they've uh, put the inflation okay. gene back in the bottle. Wait, Dan, I want to be clear. When you say stop, so you think there might be another hike this year, or you're just saying higher for longer, which is basically what Jay Powell said? I mean, I think you, you can't uh, rule out the possibility of one or two more hikes, but I think he's he's pretty much done. Uh, I think the bulk of the work is done because now we're real rates are you know, two to three percent right now, adjusting for inflation. That's that's probably pretty restrictive in their uh, in their mind. All right. So unlike a lot of people in the market, you believe him when he says higher for longer. So with that in mind, you're saying there's a few metrics that are increasingly important under this higher rate environment. One of them is forward P.E. Now, I'm looking at the Magnificent Seven since the start of August, when the 10 year went above four percent, the Magnificent Seven, we're talking NVIDIA Alphabet, that's actually underperformed the broader market. So is this why you're saying that the P.E. is so important right now is that valuation is really the story at the, at the for the back half of the year? Yeah, I mean, I think NVIDIA is a great case in point. What could they have possibly said more that would have gotten incremental buyers to come into NVIDIA's shares at their most recent earnings? You could say that for many of the tech companies, tech earnings were very good. But, you know, valuations are so high, where are you going to get that incremental buyer to come into these stocks? I think that's the overriding issue. It's not that these stocks are going to collapse, <clears throat> but they could just go sideways for an extended period of time. That money is going to go elsewhere where it's finding better valuations. So in your mind, that's the confirmation that investors are more concerned about valuation, what we saw from NVIDIA. Great report, blockbuster right. report, uh, rallied after the report in the pre-market, but at the end of the day, it basically closed flat. And Friday it was lower. So, I mean, this right. is where you're getting sort of uh, the the, uh, the fundamentals colliding with valuation at this point. And valuation is, 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 is taking a front okay. seat, given how high interest rates are. All right. You actually have a few picks for us. They're in the material sector, which is, you know, deeply underperformed this year. So give us a sense very quickly why these picks, why are they good picks right now in this environment? Well, both of these companies are check writers. They have uh, the ultimate flexibility of controlling their own destiny. They can buy stock back if that's opportunistic. They can pay dividends. 
mostly uh, they can make acquisitions that could be highly strategic to their business models. And many, both these companies have stayed on the sidelines for a while because they felt valuation prices for acquisitions were simply too high. Uh, so uh, I think these companies are both really well positioned. Amatech, a multi-industry industrial company with exposure to uh, a lot of different uh, broad end markets that are seeing a real growth, has committed to spending uh, a lot of their excess cash into M&A and their free cash flow. Uh, uh, okay. Applied Industrial Technologies is debt-free, also has very flexible balance sheet to either buy stock back or also make acquisitions. All right, Dan Baru, great to see you as always. Thank you very much. All right, we have a lot Thanks, more to Frank. come here on Worldwide Exchange, including that one word that investors have to know today. But first, a high stakes face-to-face in Beijing today when U.S. Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo meets with her Chinese counterpart. We're live on the ground with the latest coming up. Plus, we take the pulse of the retail investor and how they're reacting to one of the worst months for stocks in 2023. And then later, much more in Powell's Jackson Hole comments, former Fed Vice Chair Roger Ferguson. He's here. We have a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. We are checking the overnight action in Asia and more easing out of China. The country's Ministry of Finance is cutting the duties it levies on all stock trades by half in an effort to, quote, invigorate capital markets. This is the first time Beijing has taken this type of action since 2008. Taking a look at stocks in Asia right now, we are seeing the Shanghai Composite up over 1%. The Nikkei up one and three quarters of a percent. The Hang Seng up almost 1%. All right, sticking with Asia, a developing story, and U.S. Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo is in China this week holding high-stakes meetings with key senior officials and business leaders in Beijing. Our Eunice Yoon is on the ground covering, and she joins us now. Eunice? Hey, Frank. Well, the secretary just wrapped an event here showcasing uh, U.S. companies, especially small ones, that sell into the Chinese market. Her point is uh, to really drive home her message that the U.S. and China can have a trading relationship and a strong one despite the tensions and despite her department's export controls. Uh, earlier today, uh, she was meeting uh, for, with the uh, Chinese commerce minister. This was her first day of meetings um, of three. Um, she told her the commerce minister that uh, $700 billion of trade and stable ties are, quote, profoundly important. 
And uh, this was before arriving in China. She had already told reporters that uh, what she described as narrow and targeted U.S. export controls impact only 1% of trade and that areas like Chinese tourism could actually generate about $30 billion uh, for the U.S. economy as well as 50,000 U.S. jobs if it returns to pre-pandemic levels. Now, the Chinese Commerce Minister, for his part, uh, said today that his country is ready to work to foster a more favorable policy environment. Yet, despite the pleasantries, it doesn't appear as though the two sides are really ready at this point to tackle some of the core policies that have leading to all of this conflict. For example, the Chinese state media have been pointing out that China's key concern is the U.S. restrictions on American investment into advanced Chinese IT. And Romando had directly addressed that with the minister saying this morning, in matters of national security, there is no room to compromise or negotiate. Frank? Yeah, definitely a very clear message right there. So you mentioned that uh, some of the, the talks just wrapped up a short time ago, Eunice. Where are you at right now? What's the agenda for the rest of the day? Well, she is going to be heading to a, an event where she's going to be meeting several business leaders within China, as well as the um, government officials. She's going to be at the ambassador's residence, and so she's going to be meeting people there. I think what also people have been discussing here is what really uh, tangible can come out of this meeting. And some of the discussion has been um, pointing out that she actually mentioned working groups as a way to try to improve the engagement between the two sides, which she says is really important to avoid miscalculation. Another uh, point that I thought was interesting, especially for our viewers, is that uh, there's been a lot of talk about how her trip could potentially lead to a deal for Boeing. And that's because the Chinese have been wanting to upgrade their fleet for several years, haven't done so. Uh, but critics are saying it's a concession that isn't really a concession. All right. Our Eunice Yoon. Eunice, thank you very much. All right. Well, the U.S. Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo, not the only senior U.S. official weighing in on the delicate trade balance between the U.S. and China. CNBC's Asia's Martin Soong is on the sidelines of the B-20 in New Delhi, India, and he filed this report. Good morning, guys. Yeah, it's been a pretty busy weekend for us here in New Delhi. Among the many people we talked to was the USTR, the U.S. Trade Representative, Catherine Tai. Now, de-risking allied, including American supply chains, away from over-reliance or dependence on China, that is still a very big theme as we ramp up to the G20 summit in just a couple of days of time. It's also a key part of the new U.S. trade strategy. Here's some of what Catherine Tai had to say. China's position in the global market is certainly one of uh, very clear dominance. And when we talk about choke points in supply chains, I think that um, they do present an enormous choke point in terms of uh, rare earth supply extraction processing. China at some point um, very, uh, I would say, um, smartly recognized uh, the relevance of rare earths. And um, they started producing um, and selling to the world market at prices that we could not compete with. And our producers successively shut down. So the advantage in terms of China's dominance isn't necessarily a natural advantage. It's not that they have more rare earths, but that they were able to pursue coordinated industrial and trade policies that allowed them to corner the market. 
All right. That was our Martin Soong with our report. All right. Joining me now with more Ramondo's trip and what it means for investors is DeWardrick McNeil, Managing Director and Senior Policy Analyst at Longview Global. He is also a CNBC contributor. DeWardrick, always great to see you. Good morning. Good morning, Frank. All right. So what are you thinking when it comes to this visit by the U.S. Commerce Secretary? What kind of tone do you expect her to strike? And she already started with some pretty tough talk when it comes to national security. Yeah, Frank, well, this this trip is important. It's likely going to be the last high-level cabinet visit before a potential Xi-Biden meeting on the margins of the San Francisco APEC Leaders Summit in November. So it's pretty significant in that respect. But to your point, uh, Secretary Raimondo has a difficult job here. On the one hand, she really needs to make sure, as you point out, that she states that national security is sacrosanct and that she is prepared, the rest of the Biden administration is prepared to do whatever it takes to protect national security. But she also has to try to rebuild habits of cooperation, which you're seeing here uh, with some of, of the meetings that she's having. And then one thing that I think is very important here, Frank, is her meeting with U.S. businesses operating in China. They faced a withering environment over the last three years. And she would like to be able to meet with them and discuss with her Chinese counterparts improving the operating environment for some of those businesses, which the Chinese claim they want to do for themselves. But right. I don't think there's going to be any great breakthroughs here, Frank. This is really about establishing habits of cooperation again. Right. Is, is it also about pivoting away from even just the theme of decoupling or de-risking, however you describe it? The idea is just to, to strengthen ties and say that, hey, we do want to work together, but with some restrictions and some barriers when it comes to things like chips? Yeah, I think de-risking sort of is the underpinning of all of the meetings that U.S. officials are having. But really? she is clearly trying to state other things in the relationship, cooperation in areas where she thinks uh, this cooperation can happen. Not, of course, as you uh, state, in some of the emerging and high-tech uh, technology sectors. But there are other places that she's mentioned, travel uh, and leisure. So. Uh, that's the goal here is to try and, and walk this tightrope between uh, de-risking but also cooperating. All right. So you mentioned there's a bit of a tightrope. So do the issues with the Chinese, uh, the Chinese economy, do those come up in these conversations? For example, the property sector, is that something that she touches with them? I don't think she touches this. This is a Chinese uh, problem. I think to the degree that there is potential contagion for the U.S. and, and global markets, you might hear her. Uh, reference this, but this is largely a domestic problem uh, that's going to need to be dealt with by Chinese leadership. What about some of the, the different, I guess, dynamics when it comes to Europe trying to strengthen its relationship with China while we have kind of a, a, a tenuous relationship with China? Does some of that come up just as far as, you know, the U.S. basically versus Europe as a trade partner and also as an ally? Well, you raise an interesting point here because some of this de-risking that we're seeing and, and the thaw uh, that's happening is how do you how do you square the U.S. desire to really compete and protect national security with alliance management? So a lot of our European allies were not comfortable with the early part of the year and how this relationship was going. And so some of what you're seeing is also trying to appease allies in Europe uh, some of our allies in Southeast Asia who wanted to see more cooperation, less competition. So uh, I don't think this will come up, but it certainly helps to flavor uh, the Biden administration's recent posture around China. 
Yeah, a lot going on right here. Looking at the Chinese markets right now, moving higher right now. Dwarja McNeil, always great to see you. Appreciate your time and your insight. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, how retail investors are dealing with what's been one of the worst months for stocks this year and a reversal for some of the biggest stocks on the street. Much more Worldwide Exchange coming up after this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. The markets are kicking off the final trading week of August and what has been a down month in stocks. All three indices poised to end the August in the red with the Nasdaq down more than 5%, reversing bullish sentiment for several mega cap tech names. Investopedia editor-in-chief Caleb Silver is back right here on set to talk about how investors are feeling, what they're searching for, and where all that retail money is moving. Caleb, great to have you back here. Good to be back. All right, so you, you poised this as a vibe check, using, the, you know, using some hip language on us, man. So what is the vibe when it comes to retail investors? Are they bullish? Are they bearish? How does it compare to earlier this year when we really saw the markets rally? Yeah, I'm going to channel my 17-year-old daughter and say, Frank, low-key conflicted. The difference <laughs> between what we say and what we do with our money, very stark right now and a big change from earlier this summer. All right. So we've had a lot of strategists here on CNBC saying now is the time to add risk. Notably, Tom Lee was on the show last week saying the same thing. When you see money going into funds, are you seeing that appetite for risk right now? Not at all. When you look at where the money has been moving, it's been moving sort of out of equities, out of equity ETFs, out of equity mutual funds. Of course, some of them are still attracting some money. If you look at the big ones, the Qs, still attracting some money, even though there's been a downdraft. But you also have to look at some of these other ones. HYG, this is the high-yield bond uh, ETF. That's been attracting a lot of money. Those high yields, very profitable for investors right now. PSEP, an ETF, that's a buffer if the S&P goes down 15%. That's a defensive play. Defense wins championships. We're in football season right now. People are playing a lot of that. This is Qual, Qual ETF. This is for strong balance sheets. And then IWM, people chasing some of the small caps. That's where it's moving into when people are buying ETFs and stocks. So I saw one of those tickers. I had to look it up. The HYG, it's actually high-yield corporate bonds. That's right. So where is so much interest in corporate bonds coming from? Yields. Yields are nice and juicy. When you're going to get higher for longer rates, corporate bond yields, the new ones that are being issued, higher rates right now. You see a lot of investors attracted to the debt side of things versus the equity side of things, at least for the time being. So people are trying to get away from risk, but where are we at when it comes to anxiety? I know it's something that you also track as well. Are investors nervous? Are they worried about a recession? Are they worried about anything else that's going on? Yeah, we look at what they're searching for on Investopedia because we've got a lot of people coming to us every single day, every single month. One of the top searches lately, how to trade a put. People are getting really jiggy with the options, thinking about how to bet the market's going to go down. Also, why the 10-year yield matters, it matters a lot. A lot of things based off the 10-year. We know that's been up for a while. 
best money market accounts. We've been searching for that all year, but the actual interest right now, given what we've been through, still pretty high, high yield savings. And then a Minsky moment. Do you know what that is? I I was going to ask you about this. I saw this in your notes and I didn't want to Google it. I want you to explain it. It sounds pretty painful. I know it's a collapse in the stock market due to rampant speculation. And a lot of people are searching for that. Are we going to have another Minsky moment? Are we going to have another 1987? We've had two kind of bearish markets in the past two and a half years. Those are very close together. Usually they're a little bit more spread out. I think some people are fearing come too far too fast and we might be in for one of those Minsky moment spirals where we get a downdraft here. But I think that's just us being real fearful after a really good, strong first nine months of the year, eight months of the year. According to Investopedia, investors low-key conflicted. Low-key conflicted. That's a quote for you. Caleb Silver, always great to have you here. Thank you. Thank you. All right, let's get a check on more of this morning's headlines. We have NBC's Jessica Layton. She's in New York with the very latest. Jessica, good morning. Frank, good Monday morning to you. We are learning more about the horrific attack in Jacksonville, Florida, where a gunman opened fire at a Dollar General store, killing three black victims. Police say before the rampage at the store, the shooter first stopped at a historically black university. They believe this video actually shows him getting ready with a bulletproof vest. The university says he refused to identify himself, so he was told to leave. The sheriff says the gunman took his own life and left behind messages of racial hate. The Justice Department is investigating this as a hate crime. Florida is bracing for a potential hit from a hurricane this week. Tropical Storm Idalia is expected to gain strength before making landfall along the Gulf Coast within about 48 hours. Governor Ron DeSantis issued a state of emergency. He is mobilizing over 1,000 National Guard members to help support any of those impacted areas. And Simone Biles made history at the U.S. Gymnastics Championship, winning her record-setting eighth national title, finishing four points ahead of the runner-up. At just 26, Biles is actually the oldest woman to win a national title since USA Gymnastics has been organizing this event for 60 years. Frank, we'll send it back to you. Yeah, wonderful to see her back out there. I don't want to call it a comeback story because she stepped away on her own, but it's just really great to see her back out there competing. She went, she took care of herself, she did what she had to do, and now she's back and better than ever. All right, Jessica Layton, live in New York. Thank you very much, as always. All right, as we head to break here on Worldwide Exchange, we want to check Nike shares this morning. The stock, it was the biggest laggard in the Dow last week, down almost 6%, despite snapping an 11-day losing streak on Friday. Nike still posted its third straight losing week and the worst performance since the final week of May. Taking a look at shares right now in the pre-market, just down fractionally, basically flat. Much more Worldwide Exchange coming up after this. It is right around 5.30 a.m. in the New York City area, and there's still a lot ahead here on Worldwide Exchange. Here's what's still on deck. Call it a late summer stock pop. Investors kicking off the final week of August, trading in the green. But one area of the market just can't seem to get out of its own way. Fed Chairman Jay Powell reiterating his promise to keep rates higher for longer. We speak with former Fed Vice Chairman Roger Ferguson reading the Jackson Hole tea leaves. That's coming up next. And then later, halted for 17 months in China's Evergrande resumes trading in China in really spectacular fashion. But it's not a good thing on this Monday, August the 28th, 2023. This is Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I am Frank Collin. Let's get you ready to start this day. As always, we pick up the half an hour with the check on U.S. stock futures after a mostly positive week for the major averages. Taking a look at futures right now, the Dow Jones looking like it would open up about 75 points higher, moving higher. All three indices solidly in the green. 
So while the Dow, the S&P and the Nasdaq, they may be enjoying just a bit of August relief, that is no such luck for the transports and the small caps, both coming off four straight weeks of losses. You can see some of the declines right here. Um, during that time, both down more than 6%. Pretty steady decline. Important to note, this has been since yields have rise, small caps especially rate sensitive. On a sector basis, similar story when it comes to utilities. Now down more than 10% this year and on pace for their worst year since 2008. Taking a look at utilities right here, you see some of the choppiness year to date. Um, right now, again, falling 10% year to date. We'll also look at the bond market as always. Begin with the benchmark 10-year right now trading right around its highest level since 2007 at 4.22. Important to note, the two-year yield back above 5% at 5.07. We continue to watch that story. So that's the picture here in the U.S. Let's see how things are looking overseas. Our Juliana Tattlebaum is live in our London newsroom with the early trade. Juliana. Frank, good morning. Well, it's a similar story for global equities. You're seeing green across the board. Here in Europe, it's green for every major region and every sector this morning. So following Wall Street higher from Friday and following Asia higher overnight. Before I get to Asia, just bear in mind that for European investors, the big data points to watch this week are going to be the inflation prints we're due to get for a number of European countries. That'll be key because last week we got flash PMIs for the month of August, and they were very downbeat. So uh, Investors now questioning how much more the ECB has in store when it comes to rate hikes. If the inflation picture eases somewhat this week, then perhaps the ECB will be more inclined to take its foot off the gas when it comes to further rate increases. Now on to Asia. This has been the big story from a global perspective. You've got green across the board here. This as China halved a key tax on stock trades as it looks to refuel its stuttering financial markets after a major share index fell to a nine-month low last week. This is the first cut of its kind since 2008. The finance ministry said it is cutting the levy on trades to 0.05% to, quote, invigorate the capital market and boost investor confidence. And so far, it has boosted investor confidence. you got the Shanghai Composite trading more than 1% higher. At one stage, the China market was 5.5% higher overnight. But since then, we have paired back those gains. Hang Seng also trading higher by about 1%. Frank, back to you. Juliana, thank you very much. Our Juliana Tattlebaum live in our London newsroom. All right, Wall Street this morning assessing what's ahead for interest rate increases following the Fed's annual economic symposium in Jackson Hole. The CME FedWatch tool now pricing in an 80% chance of a pause at the central bank's September meeting. That's down from the 86% chance on Friday before fresh remarks from Chair Jay Powell. Powell pointing to signs of economic growth helped by a strong consumer and resilient jobs market. He maintained his commitment to achieving the Fed's 2% inflation target is and will remain our inflation target. We are committed to achieving and sustaining a stance of monetary policy that is sufficiently restrictive to bring inflation down to that level over time. It is challenging, of course, to know in real time when such a stance has been achieved. All right, joining me now to discuss the key takeaways from Jackson Hole is Roger Ferguson, former Federal Reserve Vice Chairman and a CNBC contributor. Roger, good morning. Great to have you here. Good morning, Frank. Nice to see you. All right. So there's one quote a lot of people focused on over the weekend. I'm going to read it to you. We are navigating by the stars under cloudy skies. And then today we're looking at the CME FedWatch tool, 80 percent chance of a pause in September. What's your outlook, not only for September, but for the other two meetings this year? I expect them to have at least one more hike. Um, And it may be a pause in September, but a hike thereafter. And the reason is the major point that he made at the very beginning which is, yes, inflation has come down, 
but is still noticeably above that 2% target. And then he also talked about, you know, the forward momentum that we've seen recently, as he says, may call for, you know, further hikes. Um, and so I think you put it all together, and it feels to me as though there's at least one more hike uh, likely. And frankly, depending on the data, possibly more. They're very data-dependent right now. But I think one certainly seems, you know, consistent with uh, the main messages that he was delivering. Yeah, you, you seem to be hearing something very different than what the market's hearing. So I do want to ask you, you've been in these rooms. What are these cloudy skies? We're on a pretty clear trend of inflation trending down. Um, yes, the economy's strong, but isn't that the goal of a soft landing for inflation to steadily decline and the economy to remain strong? The goal is certainly for inflation to steadily decline, but you, people are missing the second part of that sentence. While inflation has been steadily declining, it is still noticeably above the 2% target. And as I said, 2% is and will remain the target. The second thing that I think folks might be missing uh, is that there have been mixed signals around the economy, certainly some forward momentum, but the labor market, which is one of the places they're looking, remains uh, noticeably tight. Uh, and so I think, you know, a risk management approach where the risk of doing too little uh, is important as the risk of doing too much might lean them towards at least possibly one more this year. And depending on the data, we'll have to wait and see. Right. Uh, maybe more could occur. But right now it feels like one seems consistent with the speech. Okay. So as you pointed out, Jay Powell was very adamant that 2% inflation remains the target. Uh, right now you look at core PC at 4.1%. There have been a lot of people who have been critical about the fact that he, he's not willing to shift this target. Uh, if you were on the FOMC, would you advise him that perhaps 3% inflation would be okay? Or maybe it's time to at least shift that target? No, no, no. It's not time to shift the target. Uh, another speech that was made there was by Christine Lagarde from the ECB. The same questions come up with her. And she said very appropriately, you don't shift the target, you don't shift the goals line halfway through a game um, or whatever part of we are through this game. <laughs> and so, no, I think it would be a mixed message to the market and to citizens to say, well, wait a minute, an inflation target now is slightly different. Remember, um, one of the reasons that people fight inflation, and certainly I believe this very strongly, is inflation is an insidious tax, often and mostly on the poor among us. And so getting inflation under control, I think, is really important for the average American. I don't think it's time to change the target when we're still fighting uh, the war. All right. What's also important to the average American is affordability when it comes to houses, vehicles, et cetera. Um, interest rates are very high right now. Do you believe that we're still likely to see a soft landing? I know last time you were here, you believe we were on the path for a soft landing, but with possibly one more hike, can that soft landing still be achieved? I think it could be achieved for the points that you raised, which is there's good forward momentum. I've said all along, while the uh, possibilities have gone up, I'm not 100% convinced that we'll get a soft landing. I've said occasionally it might be a sort of a bumpy-ish kind of landing. Um, you know, it wouldn't surprise me to have a quarter where growth dips below, you know, positive to slightly negative territory. Um, and so I think as we get through 24, we'll figure out exactly what has occurred, obviously. Um, I would say fingers crossed for a soft landing, but certainty, I am not yet in the camp that says oh, it's certain that we're going to get there. Right. Because this inflation does seem to be somewhat entrenched at the core level and may require, uh, as, as Chairman Powell said, more action. And finally, you know, that higher for longer is still important. So even once they're done raising rates, I think it's unlikely that they'll uh, turn to cutting rates in 24. Wow. Roger Ferguson, we have to leave the conversation there. Great to have you as always. Appreciate your time and your insight.
All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, shares of the highly indebted Chinese property giant Evergrande resumed trading in Asia after a nearly two-year halt, but maybe they should have waited just a bit longer. We're going to tell you why in just a moment. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your morning call sheet. We begin with Morgan Stanley downgrading CrowdStrike to equal weight from overweight ahead of earnings later this week. The firm says consensus estimates for a rebound in the second half of the year and 2024, they appear high in light of a more difficult demand environment. Morgan Stanley says the risk reward seems more balanced after a 45 percent run up in the stock this year. Taking a look at shares of CrowdStrike, they are down 3 percent in the pre-market. BTIG is upgrading Zimmer Biomet to a buy from Nutra with a price target of $139 a share. The firm says that call is partly based on valuation and the sell-off in the stock following the CEO transition at the medical device maker that analysts believe was just a bit overdone, taking a look at shares up just over 1%. Finally, Bernstein is upgrading Mr. Car Wash to overweight from neutral and raising its price target to 12 bucks. Bernstein says there's potential for notable upside in sales over the next two years, and the company is viewed as a top-tier operator. Mr. Carwash was founded in 1969 and now has locations in 20 states. Those shares up more than 5%. And time now for your global briefing. We begin this morning with new comments from Microsoft President and Vice Chairman Brad Smith on the U.K.'s decision to reopen its investigation into the active acquisition of Activision Blizzard. Speaking exclusively with CNBC Asia, Smith said he is still holding out hope. I think hope is on the horizon. Uh, We have worked very hard, most recently, to address the concerns of the UK, the Competition and Markets Authority. That's what led us to make a big decision a week ago, you know, to spin out the cloud game streaming rights to Ubisoft, an important French games publisher. Uh, We've prevailed in court in the United States. We've ensured that we continue to comply, even while we spin out these rights to Ubisoft, with our commitments in the European Union. Um, As the CMA in the UK has said, there's no green light, but they will review our proposal. Uh, And I'm hopeful that by the middle of October, we may just see this come together. All right, I'll turn to China. Shares of China's Evergrande Group sinking nearly 90% on its first day of trading after being halted for 17 months. The share slide comes as the company reported a loss of $5.4 billion in the first six months of the year, smaller than the $11.8 billion loss reported just a year ago. Evergrande filed for Chapter 15 bankruptcy in the U.S. back in July as it works to restructure its business. And more easing out of China, the country's, country's Ministry of Finance is cutting the duty it levies on all stock trades by half in an effort to, quote, invigorate the capital markets. This is the first time Beijing has taken this type of action since 2008. China's Securities Commission also says it will slow the pace of IPOs in an effort to keep investor cash in the broader markets as opposed to piling in to new offerings. All right, ahead here on Worldwide Exchange, the one word that every investor needs to know today, we speak with Charles Schwab, Chief Investment Strategist, Liz Ann Saunders. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. Much more Worldwide Exchange coming up after this. All 
All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your WEX wrap-up. We begin with U.S. Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo in China this week to meet with senior officials and business leaders in Beijing. Raimondo calling the trading relationship complicated and challenging. She added, when it comes to national security, there is, quote, no room to negotiate. Raimondo adding, the U.S. seeks healthy competition with China. The FTC is suspending its challenge of Amgen's nearly $30 billion deal for Horizon Therapeutics until at least September the 18th. Regulators are considering whether to settle or continue their efforts. Shares of Horizon, they're popping on the news, up 5% right now. Shares of a Chinese EV maker Xpeng surging in Asia and here at home. The company says it is buying Didi's smart EV development business as part of that deal. The Asian ride-hailing giant will become a strategic shareholder in Xpeng. Shares of Xpeng right now up 10% over in Hong Kong. Here in the U.S., up just over 4%. 3M is reportedly agreeing to pay more than $5.5 billion to settle the more than 300,000 lawsuits that claim 3M sold the U.S. military defective earplugs. Analysts have estimated this case could cost the company roughly $10 billion. Shares of 3M right now up 5% on that news. An Irish drug maker, Malincrot, is filing for its second U.S. bankruptcy in three years in an effort to reduce its debt by about $1.9 billion and reduce the amount it owes to victims of the U.S. opioid crisis. Those shares moving just about 2% higher on that news. Here's what to watch in the week ahead. We have earnings from Best Buy, Salesforce, and Lululemon, among others. Top of mind for Powell and the Fed, Core PCE, prices and the monthly jobs report. Then on Friday, the pause on federal student loan repayment that expires with borrowers expected to make their first post-pause payment in October. Taking a look at futures right now, looking to kick off the final trading week of August. Well, in the green right now. The Dow looks like it would open up about 70 points higher. Our Bob Pisani has more on what to watch this week. After Powell, what's next for the markets? The good news is even though much of the trading community will be off next week, we're about to exit the news vacuum we've been in for the past couple of weeks. Next week, we'll bring important data that will help determine if we are indeed getting the below-trend jobs growth Jay Powell is looking for. The Jolts jobs opening is Tuesday, July PCE deflator is Thursday, and non-farm payrolls is on Friday. The good news is, so far, August is proving to be a garden-variety 5% correction. Rates have adjusted higher to account for the strong economic reports in August, and rate-sensitive sectors like tech and communication services have seen a re-rating of their stock prices down this month, but most are still up strongly for the year. The bad news is this. Stocks still aren't cheap. Earnings are rising, but really not fast enough to make the market compelling yet. The big wild card is inflation. No one is sure if it's slowing down just enough to keep the Fed satisfied or if it might be reaccelerating, particularly on wages. So far, the markets are betting that it's slowing down just enough. That's the Goldilocks play. And that leaves stocks vulnerable in September. Why? Because the market is positioned for a soft landing. So the pain trade, the move in the markets that would cause the most discomfort to the most investors, is for strong growth to continue, rates continue to creep higher, and the markets go lower in September. Back to you, Frank. All right. That was our Bob Pisani. For more on the markets, let's bring in Lizanne Saunders, chief market strategist at Charles Schwab. Lizanne, great to see you. Good morning. Nice to be here. All right. So the markets had a whole trading day in the weekend to digest. Jay Powell's comments looking at just what we saw here. Futures in the green right now. Tech coming off its best week since July. What are you expecting today and this week? 
<laughs> Wouldn't I love to know what's exactly what's going to happen today? You've seen a bit more intraday volatility. Some of the rally days have ended on a softer tone. I wouldn't be surprised to see some of that kind of intraday moves continue. We've got the Jackson Hole uncertainty behind us, but there's still the uncertainty with regard to the September FOMC meeting and then, of course, into November. So I think certainly traders are going to continue to watch probabilities associated with the next two meetings, um, and that could drive some of the shorter-term moves in the market. Yeah, it's kind of odd that we still have all this uncertainty. We had two things happen last week that I think a lot of people thought would give direction to the markets, NVIDIA earnings and Jackson Hole. But as you mentioned, still a lot of uncertainty. So we're waiting for PCE. I think that's going to give us some sense of an answer about September. Before we get there, uh, valuation, is that the story today and the rest of the week? What's the big theme that you're seeing? So I, I think probably the overarching theme really for the last year and a half has been Valuation, but as it relates to the most aggressive monetary policy tightening cycle in history, the surge in uh, yields, both on the short end and the long end, that brings a the risk-free rate back into the picture. When you have a higher discount rate, all else equal, it, it means that those forward earnings are less valuable. That puts downward pressure on the market overall and the more highly valued segments of the market. And then when you have a move back up in yields and you break out on the upside, I think that's where the pressure has come recently on some of those higher valuation segments of the market. All right. So with all this uncertainty and different questions about the market, what's your WEX word of the day? So it's sort of the word of the cycle anachronism because this this cycle has unfolded uh, without any reference to historical patterns or chronology, sort of the rolling recessions idea. Every day we get uh, data, it's it's more and more confusing, and it's hard to go back and look at history with any kind of apples-to-apples comparison. All right, so Lizanne, usually we have a pick right in this spot. No, you're not going to give us a pick, but you do have some advice for investors right now. You're actually looking at two high-growth ETFs. One's the IWF, up 27% this year. The other's RPG, up 1.5% this year. Again, both of them are high-growth, and you say investors really need to look at the holdings. Yeah, and I don't I don't cover ETFs, but uh, as it relates to the indexes, you know, you've got S&P growth and value indexes, you have Russell growth and value indexes. A lot of people don't realize that S&P did their rebalancing in mid-December, and after their rebalancing, technology went from being 37% of that index to 13% of that index, and energy became the top sector represented. Fast forward to the end of June, when Russell did their rebalancing, there wasn't as much movement. So the huge spread has to do with the differential between technology in the case of Russell being more dominant, energy in the case of S&P pure growth being more dominant. So the overarching lesson is if you're an index-oriented investor, make sure you understand what's embedded in those indexes. Right. So when we're looking at something like the IWF, I'm looking at some of those top holdings, is Apple, Microsoft, and Amazon. So if you're, if you're looking for growth right now, um, are you concerned about the high yield situation right now, at least until we get to this PCE report that may answer some questions? Not necessarily all growth. I think right now we, we, we're very much factor focused. And I think you want to look for a combination of growth oriented factors, meaning characteristics and value oriented factors or, or characteristics. Got it's it. just the really expensive end of the spectrum. It's, so it's valuation specific, not just general growth. Lizanne, thank you very much. Got to leave the conversation there. We've got Squawk Box coming up next. Thank you for watching. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern.
From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.